Hello and welcome to I've Never Seen Ellipsis, where we talk about landmark, I guess, films that we, or one of us, have never seen. This week I prepared a a treat for Albert, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of two of my favourite films of all time. So Agnes Varda's Le Bonheur, um, a landmark film of the French New Wave, mm-hmm. and Takashi Miike's hugely subversive and um, divisive uh, horror movie from 1999. Um, audition Mm. which um, the reason for choosing these is they are two films which have really interesting subtext and statements to make about gender in general and are two films that i would hold up as being two important examples of um feminist filmmaking um but they are often or at least at the time maligned for being quite the opposite um which beguiles me with addition with audition especially i don't understand that um with lobono i understand how people would read it a certain way but to me it makes no sense at all yeah and i think i think i might make a good sort of counterpoint to the way that you see these films because mm-hmm. i think i have slightly contrasting views and it'll be really interesting to get into the conversation as to yeah. sort of why we see it the way we do Mm. because yeah for me these are two like pretty perfect movies that I'm just stunned by um, I've watched Audition several times then my second time watching mm. Le Bonheur um, Audition is a perennial favourite but also just like as a, as a horror fan and gore fan um, mm. Audition is just my kind of jam anyway um, but yeah great great pairing by the way mm, thank, we're, you. thank you we're continuing the theme of great pairings yeah um, I just I just thought of them as a going together for oh that's a yeah what a wonderful two movies put together um mm. but no very very smart and um, I, but i also love that these are divisive films um yeah. i find that a lot of my favorite films are people that some people go yeah i don't like that i'm like interesting yeah no divisive <laughs> films can be great films absolutely mm. in fact if anything we've been watching a great deal of divisive films yeah okay like, this is gonna the the that theme is gonna continue this is going to be like the reverse Sarlo gate. This is Sarlo the way around. Um, actually, oh yeah. my god, my favourite Letterboxd review I read for um, Audition described mm. it as when Harry met Sarlo. Oh, that that's good. Yeah, that's, that's very that's good. Just astonishingly good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's go over what these movies are about then. Yeah. Um, oh, have you read a summary of Le Bonheur? Because I looked one up just now. I. Yes, I watched. Uh, I read the Criterion summary. Oh, interesting. Just going into this, uh, what, which one did you read? Um, so I read the plot summary on Wikipedia, and I think it's lies. Yeah, but Wikipedia, man, it's just. I know, I know, I know, but it, there was a sentence at the end that I'm like, um, that's not how the film ends at all. That is not the ending of the <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> if I can find it. You're telling me that people lie. I am telling you that people lie on the internet. Um, Did I just Google Wikipedia? Yes, I did. Um, Let's see if you agree with this being... So sorry to skip ahead slightly. No, no, it's fine. This being the end of the movie. In fact, I'm going to read you the whole summary. Um, Francois, a handsome young joiner working for his uncle, lives a comfortable, happy life married to his pretty wife. Therese, a dressmaker with whom he has two delightful children. I'd like to put the word delightful there. Um... Pero and Jesus. Um, the family love outings to the woods outside of town, 
Although finding abundant happiness in his life and insuperably loving his wife and children, Francois falls for Emily, an attractive single woman working in the post office, who has a flat of her own and looks very like Therese. He does not lie to Emily about his happiness with and love for his wife and children, and she accepts his visits. Picnicking in the woods one weekend, Therese asks Francois why he seems so happy of late. He explains that all his existing happiness with her and the children is not changed in any way, that's increased by the new happiness he has found with Emily. Um, putting the children to sleep under a tree, Therese encourages Francois to make love to her. He falls asleep afterwards, waking up, finds Therese gone in the most like surreal moment of the film. Um, searching desperately, he finds her body that anglers have retrieved from the lake. So she just dies. Um, which is... yeah really interesting um, after spending on the country um, where Ed is looking after the children Francois returns to work and looks up Emily soon she is living in his house looking after him and the children the family are all very happy together and loves to go on outings to the woods outside of town he has once again found abundant happiness in his life indisputably loving his new wife and children mm. that is not the end of the movie in my opinion at all what is your interpretation of the ending? Oh, the end of the movie is saying this is all about to die. This is all about to fail. The marriage or French society or like or and I think male entitlement. Oh, okay. Um, and the kind of like belief, um, the misinterpretation of um, liberalism and like free love to see it as being a thing that just um, entitles a certain male to have whatever they want. Right. It shows how okay. that can never actually last. And for me, why it's perfect is it's done almost purely with colour palette. Right. So, no, that is that is good. That's a really, really interesting reading. And I think, um, yeah, I'm almost certainly agree with you. It's actually something that I didn't quite pick up on. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm as, as sensitive to you as, uh, as you to the sort of countercultural movement of the 60s and 70s you know i mean yeah. i just don't have enough cultural knowledge so i think the fact that mm. you took it in that way just says something about our experiences yeah, and i think um, prefacing this like i'm a big fan of this movement of cinema in general and agnes varda i've watched so many of her films oh, most of them so i go in knowing her politics um, well so this is this is such a good tie into the criterion summary that yes. i read because okay. there it says that le bonheur was made before uh, Varda got involved in politics which is really interesting mm. yes it does because yeah so we can and the other thing that we have to try and balance is reading these films with a with a contemporary sort of lens yeah and also through the lens sorry in both senses in, in our own sort of time and also at the time that they were made yeah because I think they're both films which are made on the threshold of a cultural sort of Revolution. I think that's a, that's an excellent take. I think that's very yeah. very true. These are both end of an era films, not in their narratives, but in their positioning as when they come out. Yeah. Let's just quickly go over what audition is oh about before God. we jump. We jump. I just want to ask you questions of audition. Um, did you what yeah. did you know about this movie going in? No, so I heeded your advice <sighs> entirely. I I didn't look up anything. No cover. Nothing. What I just you... switched it on and watched it all the way through. And it was kind of it was a, it was a very in, like the first sort of thirty minutes or so because oh. I think what both of these films do is they lull you into a very false 100%. sense of security, and you just think like what is this film about like yeah. what, what is going on here until you sort of see that scene of her with the uh, with the bag. Oh, the, the bag, bag terrifies me. I was just that shook me. The first time I watched that movie, I was 
Yeah. Just like, oh my god, what is that? Um, okay, so should I do the summary for yeah, audition? Yeah, please do the summary for okay. audition. I love it. I don't think I can so summarise this film. This is a very this is a very interesting film. So the first thing to say about it is that it sort of sparked the J-horror movement. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't really know too much um, about J-horror, but... So I'm... Um, um, to surprise nobody, like a huge J horror fan, this was ve- yeah. it didn't really spark it. Actually, this was very much a a second movement, I guess. I see. Um, J horror was very big in Japan, obviously, yeah. and the thing that made J horror big in the wider market was um, Ring, uh, Ringu. Yeah. Um, Ringu made huge success, um, and then when Nakata was marketing Ring Two, which I hadn't seen actually. Um, right. Takashi Miike, who had previously made so many movies, and mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a lot of his movies, and still that's like hardly any of them. Um, but he was very much in the like made a lot of like straight to video kind of just like really fun trash, but kind of trash. I, I love a lot of them, but he makes a bunch of trash. Um, he had got the rights to this Ryu Murakami novel, this satirical novel, and had made a movie out of it. And um, for a while, it was very much just on the horror movie circuit of. Um, you're like Fright Fest, not actually Fright Fest, but that kind of like circuit. But because of the success of Ringu, people had more of a market and interest in J horror. So it got seen by more people, and everyone was like, this is something really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And that brought it into more mainstream film festivals, and it got loads of really good critical buzz, and then it ended up being a big success. It's actually way more successful critically in the west um, than it was in japan so i can definitely see why because Mm. it takes it takes a lens to a lot of tropes in japanese culture and sort of you know cuts them up literally (laughs) (laughs) in in uh, many senses of that word so i'll just get straight to it so basically the sort of premise of the film is that you have this two you have these two aging well middle-aged guys one of them has lost a wife and he's feeling lonely or whatever well he's and... but he's not though that's why i love this movie he's told that he's lonely yeah everyone keeps telling him he should be feeling lonely and that's the film true, yeah. keeps telling you he is yeah. fine like he's got a maid that sorts out everything for him he's got a son they have a really good connection there is nothing wrong in his life it's just due to cultural expectation yeah, he believes he needs expected. a wife yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so so oh, awesome movie then they engage in what can only be called a sort of harvey weinstein level mm-hmm. exploit yeah and emma described this as the <laughs> casting couch moment which is totally it, on point exactly exactly yeah it's, it's a it's a so it's this this is where i started to have a lot of problems with this film because <sighs> on the one hand you see what you see is uh, them carrying out a sort of fake audition process and hence the title of the film where they so, interview a number of women and they put them into vulnerable situations yep. where the men clearly have the power, mm-hmm. you know, the balance of power in their favour, and they make them do various things, mm-hmm. including things like, you know, stripping off of them or whatever. Yep. So it, it definitely goes to where you think it's going to go. And this is all done... You Like, how are we supposed to take this... Is it supposed to be a really, like, ironic thing, which is totally satirical, despite the whole tone of it, which is very, like... It's almost like... Seinfeld made a porno. Oh, no, do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Really this, weird tone. This, this is I why I quite... love it so much. Because yeah. for half the movie, it is a completely different film of the kind of film you could imagine. So it, this comes off the off the record of like 
the romantic films of the time where yeah. most films would make most films would have this storyline and it wouldn't be creepy and this film right. is just so aware that it's creepy it is yeah, you can see so this as a, a rom com which has like a 15 age rating in the in the mid 90s mm. or something and it which is, is yeah it, it is weird but basically okay so like yes are we supposed to take it at that ironic level or is Mike actually guilty of doing exactly the thing that he's supposed to be criticizing I don't, I don't think, really know I, I mean I'm very sure about this film like yeah. for me it is because of the genre flip because of everything and because of the way the film is made and because of even like the symbolism at the beginning where it starts with these two people like netting in fish and it, it ends with someone being caught it is all about mm. people being caught up and ensnared and things and the film makes it clear all the way through this is unnecessary this is predatory this yeah. is weird and it uses horror movie syntax from the beginning in a way that comes becomes clearer and clearer yeah, and clearer that, that is true yeah um, yeah okay yeah the, the film uses two types of shots um emma and i both talked about this um, sorry, I watched watched a film with my partner who was going to be on this, but she did not manage to watch Bonner because she was too busy with actual work. Um, but this film either uses distance shots or really claustrophobic close-ups. And the reason the distance shots are so powerful is they're often at weird Dutch angles that mm. evoke security camera footage. Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, true, yeah. the audition yeah. thing is like that. You feel like you're watching in. The thing why this movie is great to me is that the whole time you feel like you should not be watching this. That you are complicit in this, in the creepiness, and we know the guy's a hypocrite from moment one because he's in this um, hotel, this bar, sorry, and he talks about how he wants a, a mature lady, and then as soon as he sees this young girl on a picture, he goes for her straight away. Yeah. So just to finish off the recap. Yeah, uh, sorry, I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, I mean, yeah, it's really easy to get carried away with this film because there's so much to say. Mm-hmm. But basically, there's two halves, like you said. You have the first half where you have these two guys seemingly carrying out a sort of audition process and the guy falls in love with mm. uh, one of the women. So, yeah. He makes her yeah. become dependent on him. Well, that's what you think is happening. Um, yeah, and then eventually the film sort of flips in tone very quickly and very suddenly when you get to the sort of that scene in the hotel i think yes where things start to begin become very very creepy and just like surreal you have these kind of dreamlike sequences oh, going on they're so good um the chronology kind of gets out of a whack you're not yeah. sure what is really going on yeah. anymore and just to sort of factually finish off this film, what happens in the end is there's a there's a climax. Sorry, spoilers, but I guess you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, the climax is you kind of get a subversion of the Japanese trope of the powerless female, mm-hmm. you know, archetype or whatever, where she literally says, you know, oh, you've been, what does she say exactly when she's tortured? So basically, yeah, so she 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 comes into. The, gu- the guy's house and tortures him in the most horrific way. Yes, yeah, it, it is a protracted twenty-minute torture. Twenty-minute torture scene. I mean, you know, this film makes even yeah. It's, it's, I don't even know what to say about it. It's it's, it's, it's very. It goes explicit. so hard. It goes very so hard. Um, but basically, there's one line which stuck with me, which is she says something like, "You've been making me." Damn it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where she sort of just—it's it, like she's speaking to the audience, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess I mean there's a lot of that going on, but still, it's something like um, 
you think you can just get away with mm-hmm. doing something to me or to women. Oh, yeah, yeah you, you get these women in and you audition them without any intent yeah. to... Anyway, yeah, it's it's something like that. It's, it's a very interesting line because the climax for that line has been going on throughout the whole film and it's sort of like, okay, yeah, I sort of get where this is going now. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of... That's the film. But mm. really, the film is... I don't know, like, it's... It, it's sort of taking a dig at Japanese... Well, it's, it really is taking a dig yes. at Japanese society. And the passivity of and Japanese society as well. It's... In other ways... Okay, so so in one way, you think Mika is, is being extremely critical of what's yeah. happening on screen. But in yes. another way, I just... In some ways, this is like the alt-right's wet dream, this film. Oh, I don't and agree I'll, at all. You I'll try and explain, to explain why. That because... I'll try and explain why. So basically, it's a very good portrayal of male anxiety. And, and anxiety sort of fantasies. There's a line at the beginning of the film, right? Yeah. Where they're at the bar. And they're just talking about what they're about to do. The two mm-hmm. men, the two sort of middle-aged guys. And they say, like, they, there's a there's some women in the back off screen who are laughing. One of yeah. the characters says to the other one, he says, oh, I think Japan's going going to pot, or it's, <laughs> it's all falling apart or whatever. So it's sort of like, it's classic kind of conservative fetishizing. But these people are so clearly the antagonists of the film. I know, but... All the way, but they are, all, they are never not presented as utter creeps utter yeah. utter creeps and the film is so full of red flags and the film even like has such fun with him not noticing and even his sleazeball mate being like dude are you sure about this like when he <laughs> reads her essay and her essay just yeah. reads like um what and the way that he's just like oh yeah i'm like no that does not mean what you think it means leave that alone but you know what i mean it's kind of like it has a very conservative tone but maybe because it's trying to challenge conservative values but there was something that struck me about it which was like because i think it does try to i generally think it's trying to trick its viewer it wants to make its viewer feel so uncomfortable i think both of these films do that because i remember watching le bon for the first time and i've watched so much agnes varda stuff it was one of the last ones that i watched in this thing i was trying to watch she had just died and i was trying to watch through as much of her movies as i could and i was just loving them loving them and there are so many that were so very clearly in line with my politics um and this one, I was just like, okay, this seems like a deviation from the kind of like your presentation of femininity and stuff. Mm. And I was like, what? And then when it got to the end, I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. And yeah. both of these films to me are films that only work when watched as complete works because they are trying to, as you said very, very well, they are lulling you into a certain position of being like, wait a minute, is this? And then the pernicious genre flip in audition and yeah. the little perhaps too subtle bit of the end of Le Bonheur are just like no but I think all the way through these films why they're straight pairing there are clues all the time like Le Bonheur is just so clearly not a real place all yeah, the way the tone through. in the film is so dreamlike it's very, yeah, all it's the block colours it's such a thin veil of utopia it looks like this idealistic yeah 
ignorant male utopia. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. If yeah, you just yeah. prodded at it, it would fall apart, and that is the end. But yeah, it's, yeah, if yeah, you're not yeah. thinking about that, the film just washes over you. And audition... Much like Francois doesn't really think much about anything else, about his own sort of world or whatever. Exactly, yeah. But why audition works for me so much um, is because what I perceive the film as being about primarily is it is a complete reaction movie to a trend in cinema that I hate, which is this idea of um, these subservient, damaged women who cinema likes to deify as like making a male character interesting. Of that movement, like, oh yeah, they're so interesting, they're so dark, and they're so damaged, and oh, you have some trauma that makes you a better character. Mm. And this film explores the no, it doesn't. Like, this is horrible. This is nasty. What you're doing is disgusting. And if you actually engage in this stuff, this is what happens. It is a, like a realistic treating of like really misogynist tropes in cinema more at the time than the now. I think, like the more like romance genre. Emma's disc- are you aware of like the the manic pixie dream girl stereotype not a huge amount so just explain it to me a bit so have you seen um garden state oh, such a long time ago though th- that's th- basically a manic pixie yeah. dream girl is this ethereal kind of like female character that exists to make a man more interesting okay right um and as emma put it this is the um manic trauma dream girl this is the yeah she at the beginning only exists to be like an addendum to this character and her trauma is what makes her interesting right and then the film goes actually let's explore the reality of this that is not that it reminds me actually of game of thrones weirdly um where Mm. game of thrones did that horrible thing in its last season which i know you've watched um you were there exactly in its last season of i want to not be so cutting about this but it uses sexual assault to imply that's how i became a character okay so this is the central question for me Mm. do you think that the ending of these two films and i think they both fall victim to the same problem do you think that the ending of these two films makes the women not addendums to the men are they not because to me, what the women came across as as just extensions of the men, even even including. I think the uh, ending. They couldn't exist without the men. That's well, the, my problem. The, that's well, my problem. That's my thing you with know? these two films, as um, because I understand that critique and I've heard it before, and I think it's really interesting. But these are two films which master the subjective lens of you are seeing it um, through a certain point of view, and they are two films that exist almost entirely on a symbolic level i don't think about the characters of this film outside of the film i don't see them as being real outside of the film these are two pieces of mm. clearly polemical political film yeah that's true yeah um because labona is just and again the artist of the film leans into that and audition is it keeps showing you like these people aren't people these people aren't people these people aren't people and yeah. it, it, to me it's a reaction to it but there's so many films that do that and don't comment on it it's more of attack on that than it is anything else because this per- it's the it's punishment to the character in the film who never see women as anything but this thing and they fall prey to that explicitly okay. in audition and implicitly in labona that you you've slightly sort of changed my mind or, or convinced me but what when i first watched both films i just thought that they were both very reductionist they mm. don't really portray any, as you said they don't really portray anything that's real because what happens is so let's take audition right yeah 
So for me, what it does is it creates a sort of false dichotomy between obje objectification and hysteria. Those mm -hmm. two tropes of women. Do you know what I mean? It's like the women can't exist outside those two modes in the film. Either they either they're reliant on men for objectification, or they're reliant on men because you know they they can't live with, without them, so they go mad. Do you know what I mean? So it's like okay, but wait a minute. What about you know like what about women as actual real people who have like a lot to say and do outside of those two modes. <laughs> I, I think that's a very interesting point. I just don't think that's what the so, film is doing. Um, because let, is... let me just finish this point, but I really want you to like take me up on it and really challenge me because I, you know, I there's probably you know I'm, I probably don't understand the film. That's probably what's going on. But anyway, basically, so okay, so to me it's almost like the director is saying that the panacea to the first mm. is like violent revenge to the first thing. To, so the panacea to objectification is violent revenge, and I was just like, really that. You know, what about everyday, like, misogyny and stuff? It's like, I mean, the way to get rid of that isn't to... I guess the film is really the the way that you solve. The film itself yeah. is yeah, the yeah, way yeah. you solve misogyny, right? It's, it's the, a the, cautionary tale The film, is the, the film is the praxis, not the... Yeah. Is it a cautionary tale? What do you mean by cautionary I mean, tale? I, I, I think to take it as realist is to... Yeah. It just does not work. That's true. You know, um, I, I really shouldn't take it as realist because they are quite mad. They're, sort of, they're very dreamlike films. This then, is why yeah. I love genre cinema and this is why I love horror cinema. This is a film that is so clearly a film, both of them, and they are yeah. so clearly playing in the genre and the tropes of the genre and they are weirdly message movies of this... Because for me, and, and I think maybe just me, but the reason it works me in audition of the lack of female autonomy is because it's so tied to a worldview of it takes on that worldview and it shows what happens in that worldview. Because to this character, they summon these people into their world and they wouldn't accept the people. But there are constant hints in this film to a world that exists outside. You have the really interesting um, plot line with the woman at work, the co-worker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really fascinating. You have the maid who's really interesting, and it's this main character who keeps pushing those people out and focusing on this paper thin, not a character. And why I like, um, yeah. I can't remember her name, and I think that's, I think Ayama or something. And but to me, it's yeah. important I remember her name. She is objectively not a character. She is a blank slate that he wants to impinge on and impinge yeah, on and impinge that's, on. That's that's the key thing, I think. She yeah. is his view of women. She is mm. what he wants women to be. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. yeah and then yeah. the film weaponizes him with that, of being like, no, you can't do that. Right. That is not a thing that you can do. So is Mika, say, is Mika the director, also saying that Asami isn't a real person? Because I think that would change my perspective on the film. I think so, because, like, it's she is a bit of a bag of cliches. Yeah, that's, she is yeah. a collection of tropes. She is yeah. this equals this equals this equals this, and we never really know anything about her. And like the altered kind of like chronology at the end of the film is purposely confusing. Like, it, and then she gets swapping her different characters. She represents women in his life, his the ways that he interacts with femininity, and the fact that he even wants to impose his wife's personality on her. I like that she he just wants her to be his wife but younger. Yeah, and also to parallel that in Le Bonheur, mm. both the women look very much alike. Yes, which is a definitely an interesting thing. Um, so, what? Okay, there's there's another reading which I wanted to sort of yeah explore and, and ask you about, which is is this film saying that women 
who in both of these societies in the film, right, are basically shown as the most like docile, almost like child childlike figures who are just totally expressionally repressed. Hmm. Apart from the very endings, I suppose. But no, the ending the point about the ending is it are the filmmakers saying that that's what happens to characters which are so expressionally challenged for, for most of their lives or whatever. And that's what happens when their, you know, their lives boil over or hit well, a limit or something. Well, in audition, and their ultimate way of expressing themselves is to do both the kind of crescendos of the two films, the suicide and the torture. Well, with, with, well, and that, to get to the suicide point, that's where the film becomes surreal though, because is mm. that a suicide? The film doesn't well, it's, show it's a suicide. Yeah, true, true. That because is... it could be a sort of like a um, very Shakespearean thing of like, what's the character that like, is there a character that dies by just walking into a pond or something? Is that Ophelia? Yeah, Ophelia that's Hamlet. The yeah. That's the one. Oh yeah, he likes yeah. to kill women off screen. But it, my thing of Le Bonheur, maybe this is just me, I, I just think it's it's the wrong way to treat Le Bonheur is as anything but like an Ibsen-like collection of symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, Explain what you mean by that. Um, it, like the doll's house for example um yeah. the Ibsen play like these people are not for me characters they are representations and mm-hmm. when his wife dies in that film that is a symbolic moment of him like killing off his wife that he's actually lost that part of his life because he has admitted to it and he thought he could keep it but actually what he's done is he's sacrificed a thing he can never go back to that he can never have that relationship with her again because he has ruined it it's mm. he's killed off symbolically what his wife was up to that point and he's left with a thing that he thinks can take its place with a thing that he thinks he can swap for and the film is being like well that is not how it works and that's why she just she just dies there is no it doesn't look like suicide it looks like she's just faded away she's just perished but so you just just to rewind a little bit so okay did you say that the ending of the film you think that francois has changed in any way no you don't yeah that's 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 what i also thought yeah he's he's as oblivious to his wife's death as anything yeah. else in his life and then again that shows the falsity of the film for me because like yeah. he doesn't react emotively to his wife's death it's mm. just a transition thing it's just him trying yeah. to push this outlook it's just it's a film about male outlook of this really interesting idea at the center of it of the pure pursuit of individual happiness which i think is very true to the time period of this kind of like gregarious, free-loving, free-life movement. And why Varda's a clever filmmaker, she's not just saying, oh, this is bad, let's be conservative. She's saying, you can't have feminism on male terms. You can't have male-rooted femininity on tap. It's got to be cooperative. And we can't boil down life to happiness. And this is a man that just wants happiness and happiness and thinks that he's achieved it. And even when the film takes away his wife, he still thinks he's achieved it. Okay, I've got a question about the use of the word happiness in Mm. the film. There's a line that sort of stuck with me, which I wasn't sure if the subtitles were mistranslated. Um, And you know a bit more French than I do. Mm. So (laughs) maybe you can help me out. So the line that I wrote down is, happiness is incremental. But is that what the French was saying? I don't know if you remember that moment when he's sort of like talking to uh, to Emily 
it's I, know, I think in my translation he goes like happiness um he's like increases by addition that's it well yeah incremental basically yeah, yeah, yeah. what yeah. does what is that trying to get at because i thought it, it's probably important but yeah, it's probably oh, yeah, not you, understand you, it. for me that is the crux of he's just like i am happy with my wife because right. she fulfills my i have a wife while she looks after my children i am happy with my mistress because yeah. she fulfills my sexual roles and in his life he's like that is happy that is happy two happinesses equals even more happiness and he, he can't he, even think yeah. that they are cancelling each other out and they're going okay, to yeah. collide so so he's very sort of comically pontificating mm. on the idea that open marriage isn't a zero-sum game yeah <laughs> is and, that it is that basically what he's trying to say well it, from his point of view yeah from his point of view absolutely. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I think that's why the wife just dies because he quite tries to create a sum where right. one plus one is two, yeah, and yeah. then she's just minus and he's left with one because okay. they can't just come together. He just thinks he can add. And there's that that great bit when he just goes, um, "I just want this, this, and this, this for food tonight." It's like I want um, fried potatoes and blah blah blah. And she's yeah. just like, "What?" And he's like, "I like it. I can have it every night." And that's the male mm-hmm. entitlement thing of yeah, yeah. because he gets that taste of everything he wants when he wants it, he thinks it's like, well, why can't I just have everything I want all the time? Yeah, yeah. Because to an extent, society does reward those people. Mm. And this film is trying to be like, they what may about get... the what about the other side of that? Yeah, point? but it's yeah. almost like, and they may get rewards from this, mm. but what about the long term effects of this? And what about the people round the outsides of this? What about the effects on people close to you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of, yeah. And just like the falsity of it all, that the children don't seem to care, that no one seems to care. It just shows it as a complete illusion. This like, again, this paper thin block colour illusion the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why that change to autumnal colours for me at the end is like one of the most perfect endings because it's such a great symbol for these leaves will fall and die. It is a mm-hmm. film of summer and spring colours. It is... Um, daffodils so much all the way through and then that very final shot they're in brown and their children are in red and they are the falling leaves and you as the viewer know this is not going to last and they think that it is mm. no, that's, that was, yeah, that's a very nice take um, <laughs> I wish I had something as poetic to say about that but <laughs> I, I don't um, yeah well so it is a very poetic and expressive film, but it's mm. also a deeply comical film, don't oh, you yeah. think? <laughs> Have you seen any of Avada stuff? This is my first Vada. Because uh, she's she, she's amazing, and her documentary is a great place to start because she yeah. is the major feature of her documentaries because she's such an amazing personality. She's so intellectually curious and so like humanist in her curiosity. Um, my recommendation would be to watch um, Le Glaneur Zemois, which is her documentary about gleaning about the gleaners mm-hmm. um and she counterposes the ancient practice of gleaning with people who live off of thrown away food in then modern day paris and just like it's basically a great documentary about food waste and society mm-hmm. um oh man it's a shame that she died recently she is just the best um yeah there's a I retrospective need, film that she, she just just after she died her last film came out which is i forget which way around it is i forget if it's vada by agnes or agnes by vada which is basically just like a two-hour lecture of her sitting down talking through her filmography and it's just fascinating yeah so just going just rewinding back a little bit um to why i think 
these these films are very sort of they present you a slice of a time and and, and a thing and shows you why mm. it's problematic but i think it's only the sort of it's the yes. first step of something do you know what i mean like it's there's so many more problems yeah beyond what the film is trying to say Yes, but I think these are very focused critiques on a single thing, and I have a lot of time for that as a film of being like, be about a thing and nail it, of being like, this is an issue, and the film literally... Do you know Do you know what it is? I just think, like, there just wasn't enough focus on the inter- authentic internal experience of the women. I know it's part of the themes of the, um, <clears throat> of the film and what it's trying to sort of say. Yeah. But just creates women as like these empty just totally I... empty things how are you supposed to feel why but... the woman you know who falls into the lake or commits suicide did what she did it's just so like so abstract you know mm. like yeah it's a very subjective film they're both very subjective film. Yeah, okay. yeah. i just i don't understand how you would i i i totally get what you're saying I think it's really interesting I just don't mm. know how either of these films would yeah. work with fleshed out femininity because I think they're so reliant on presenting yes. you mm. a distorted male lens because I don't know how you'd make audition yeah, true, true. Ayama if yeah. it her name it wouldn't, character yeah. mm. because it just wouldn't work and his wives can't rebel against him because then the subtlety of the ending would not work at all because I think for me, it's got, it's to remember that people feel this. This truly reflects viewpoints that people have. People really feel this way and think this way. And I think it is on film to represent that. And for me as well, I could name you dozens of films that do this thing and just don't critique it. That are all about this kind of thing. And while those films exist, Le Bonheur and Audition are really important to go. Mm-hmm. This is a takedown of all the detritus around. Especially with horror. Um, and audition and I'm not like I'm a horror fanatic but yeah horror's obsession mm. with violence against women and for this film to be like castration like it yeah. is like yeah. a literalized like castration anxiety film of woman just but you don't you don't cutting up a yeah. dude um, but like I think that Emma pointed out which is so awesome mm-hmm. of like throughout all the film like the bed they're sat on when they're in the hotel room has got bars on it and it's got these spiraling metal up that kind oh, yeah. of um, echoes the razor wire that she uses later again yeah. all these lovely warning signs ideas of weapons throughout the film of if he just fought for a second there is something so nasty so dark and so weird here but he wants to deify and as Emma just like signaled to me and again to go back to yeah. the fishing thing at the beginning <laughs> and the fact they've got fishing rods strapped to them like giant penises <laughs> yeah. like mm. yeah I'm not saying it's a yeah. subtle movie um because it is not La Bonne is um, which is why I think they're such interesting comparison points but why I think they're both fascinating well, is no, because I, there are people I mean, at the time who thought this movie was misogynistic yeah and what 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 is that take I just I get the layered critique mm-hmm. of these films are trying to do something but perhaps not effectively but I don't understand the label of misogynistic to either of them I think with Audition I just understand it because like these people are such creeps in the beginning and it is so and it makes men so uncomfortable um, 
and it is such a kind of person that is being ripped apart and it is so reflective of as you said not only japanese society yeah, but of true. the film industry um and what it does to women and what it reduces them to um Labonna, I understand why people think it is that thing because I think it is maybe to a fault a, yeah, a subtle right, movie that doesn't appear to be subtle. Because it, it's, but but that's because it's, yeah. it's the it's the French New Wave. It's mm. like what can film mm. be? Yeah. It is an impressionist painting as cinema. Yeah, and some people don't want that. You can't just watch Labonna. It's a film yeah. you need to be going. Okay, what does that symbolise? Oh, what could that mean? Blah 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 blah. Yeah. If you just let it wash over you, which is very easy to do because it's so idyllic, but then isn't that critique for so it's so easy to fall into these traps of ways of looking at the world? Yes, it's so easy to be swept up in the illusion of Labonna yeah. of happiness. No, I, I see that. Just going slightly back to what you said about audition being cas- mm-hmm. castration anxiety. How it? Don't you find that a bit problematic? You know, it's. <sighs> It's kind of expressing that that is the misogyny of the film, right? It's everything that men are afraid women will do. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Or something like that. I don't know. It's everything they don't want them mm. to to like. Yeah. That's what the film is trying to say. Um, like. But then it's but no. But then for me, I think there are layers to it. This is the film I've watched several times, and my opinion on it has just grown over time. I remember the first time I watched it, just being like, yeah. my take at the end was like, maybe that was a bit too much. Um, and then my second also mm-hmm. i think you realize how funny it is in multiple viewings um like there is this darkest strain of humor that runs through it but i really appreciated yeah. and brought up by emma like the son character this time and i think it's important that he survives at the end and you get these little hints throughout that he is at a turning point as well of he says some things which yeah. are acceptable but borderline creepy and that if his father right. continues as this object he ends up this way so it's so important that she gets dealt with and then he is left without these pernicious influences and that he is left as something to yeah. continue yeah, yeah, yeah. after the yeah. film goes on symbolically. Because he And he has that lovely relationship with, with his little girlfriend where they appreciate each other and she's just nice. And she could be in the film more but then there's no benefit to the narrative that yeah. they have her in it more. And also, subjectively, I love gore cinema and the prosthetics in Audition are just I actually, sublime. I was wondering how they did some of the scenes in that film because... Ah, oh, the tongue. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, it's just, it's such a great like film to just be like, again, like I I knew too much going in the first time because I knew it was gonna mm-hmm. like genre flip and like I had a copy of it which yep. I rented, so I knew it was an eighteen rated yeah, yeah. horror movie. It's obviously this film <laughs> needs a rating because some people do not need to see yeah. this movie, but. It kind of ruins the film slightly when you're like, but then it kind of makes it because the whole time you're like, why has this film got an 18 rating? Yeah, yeah, happen? true, true, true. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm God, glad uh... I didn't know anything about it because like, <laughs> yeah. Were you unsettled by it? Yeah. It, mm, it good. Almost grew up, but both of the Did films. Did you think I was it was scary? Tough. Yeah, I was like, oh, I really don't like horror. Throughout the whole film, I was like, oh no, oh no, what, what's gonna happen now? <laughs> Like, and it slowly, like as it slowly unwinds and gets worse, I just felt myself being like, okay, when when is the jump scare coming? Like, when's she gonna like, you know, crawl out of the TV or something? I was just, I was just like, <laughs> um. So yeah, I was very unsettled, but I couldn't oh, put my finger on why. I think because I think so much of the camera work. Forty minutes. That's true. 
yeah the camera work is very good at... it's why i love genre because there is a synt it's the semiotics versus syntax argument of filmmaking yeah. of is genre in semantics or is it in syntax mm. and like fundamentally it's in both um but i love genre cinema because it's like i can shoot this movie like a horror movie even when it's not and that will make yeah. you uncomfortable and you may not even know why, why? it's uncomfortable. yeah yeah true true um, to go back to a point from a while ago, which I didn't jump on, but I should have done, um, with the thing about the passivity of Ayama's character, yeah. which I hope that's her name. Um, uh, what, the main woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's Asami. Uh, that, there you go, Asami. I've been calling her on the whole time. Um, the thing to remember is she's not passive, because the film keeps telling us she's done this thing at least twice before. Yeah. She is tricking him the entire time. Right. Well, this... Yeah, so... She's done you know, it twice it's, before. It's we know she's done it twice before. It's the idea of women as tricksters, right? Do you know what I mean? But, but then it's also showing men as tricksters. Yeah, true. Yeah, true, true. Okay, so, yeah, okay, yeah. So this it kind of a... highlights the hypocrisy. Yeah, okay, true. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. It's just a good horror movie, though, as well. And I love a good horror movie. You know? It's scary. It's gory. <laughs> So and it's iconic as hell. Like the the kitty 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 at the end is just. Uh, yeah. oh, God. Yeah. Oh. But then when she reduces him to literal passivity, mm. when it's just you cannot move but you can feel pain. Yeah. Where he is just. Oh. Yeah. No. No. That's a... so. I did like that bit because so throughout the whole film, it presents this sort of very kind of self-assured middle class male mm -hmm. vision right the guys yeah. the guy's fairly sort of flippant and quite confident i'd say in fact that's what, think, one of my favorite things about the film i think he says something like um people who are not confident are not happy or something like that do you know what i mean i think but one of my favorite thing about the film almost yeah. is the fact that the as like i said at the beginning the film keeps showing you nothing is wrong for this man he is yeah, yeah, yeah. everything is fine and it can't mess up and he's just so convinced and another like i love japanese stuff i'm a big like fan of like japanese culture etc etc went to japan last year favorite point of my life just amazing um and there's a lot of like murakami deals there's a lot different haruki murakami mm -hmm. the idea of um em emasculation in japan is fascinating because it's a very different um type of cultural emasculation yeah this idea of <laughs> one hates to use the words like behind but this sense of he is not doing his role in society as a man suddenly. Right. Because... So it's very much tied to duty or something. Yeah, and, and, and this film clearly hates that idea because it keeps showing you that he is fine, yeah. but it's just completely cultural expectation that he needs the right. addendum, the expansion pack of a wife to complete his life that is so clearly complete. Yeah. And like they talk about recession, and they're clearly totally fine. Yeah. They talk about how the movie doesn't get made, they're clearly totally fine. Yeah. Things cannot go wrong for these people. Mm until they, until they do until the they do. most wrong yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. all because of their worldview that they go that wrong yeah so basically what i was trying to say is that in much the same way that the movie lulls you into a false sense of mm. security the guy himself is a, is a very <laughs> false sense of you know security with himself and his own life up until the very end where asami puts him into the most vulnerable sort of stage mm. it was a very emotive thing of like um you could feel the vulnerability suddenly, yeah. right? And it's something you hadn't seen in the film of, of the main character, of the main male, male character up to that point, I think, which is, it just struck me, something as, yeah. 
but also as a dissection of romantic tropes like how many films like throw around the language of being like oh I love you I'd give everything for you and this film's been like yeah well do you <laughs> well do you yeah <laughs> you've got a you, and when she's just like you said you'd love me only yeah, 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 a so... child and I'm like whoa what does it really mean to be it exclusive does in that you, way <laughs> it confronts you with what words actually mean yeah. a bit in a way you're like mm, yeah that is what that means of like, I'm not saying that she's got a point you yeah. know I'm not like I'm not a Thanos truther over here alright I'm not being like so Asami you, was right it's the, it's, so it's what the film is saying that this quite tired trope of the kind of badass this okay this is so bad we keep shitting on Tarantino but I'm gonna bring in well, Kill, I'm gonna bring in Kill Bill or I've seen all of his movies and I'm I can tell you it. there are a few of them that I like so what I'm gonna say is is this is uh, audition trying to say that this trope of the sort of in quotes badass uh, female revenge archetype if you actually had that for real like mm. to have the psychological depth you'd need for that, yeah. you would have a Sami. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think so. Right. I think that's a really interesting take. Yeah, and, and again so, with this, with this movie, and Tarantino loves this movie. But you know what I mean? Was... Like Kill Bill is just if you had someone a character like that, you also need the like, you also need the like psychological damage basically. But that, but that, but I love because that they're about this psychos. Film. Like those people, like you can't just like commit murderous. Um, you know but this movie again like films like to throw in as I was mentioning earlier um, overt sexual abuse as yeah. just backstory mm. and then yeah. go that explains why I'm complicated oh, and this film is just like no this person needs serious professional help exactly. and should not be yeah. strung along by men who yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. cute that she's yeah, damaged yeah, yeah. Okay. and yeah. when he's just like no, no, oh, it's yeah. so cute That's that you've true. been through that and I'm like no it's not because he reads her essay being like her essay is basically like I want to die and he's just like Oh, that's so deep. He I'm loves like, how. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's and, quite and a. As a horror fanatic, another thing about this movie, uh, the way that it plays with horror tropes. Um, are you aware of um the final girl trope? No. All right, so I really recommend the book Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Okay. Um, by Carol Clover, it's like the best book about horror ever written, mm -hmm. and she coined the term the final girl, right. um, which is the idea that horror movies love to have one woman alive at the end yeah it's a thing they love doing mm -hmm. and it's so often linked to ideas of chastity and virginity yes um and it's also she notes that it's about masculine making the feminine more masculine mm -hmm. it's about we take this very virginal traditionally feminine girl and we make her a man and she mans herself and that's why and it gets into a bit of potentially overreading, but it's fascinating. And even the weapons she uses are phallic and are penetrative. Right. It's this idea of being like, the woman becomes the man and that's how she can survive. And that she said, it's such a shallow reading to say horror movies are feminist because women get away. What the movies are actually saying is they are degrading and reducing femininity. And this film is such a different kind of final girl. Hang on a second. How, what you just said, I feel like, really applies to Asami as a character. Because mm. in a way, she has to take on a masculinity at the very end. Do you know what I mean? She, the violence in the film, yeah, is is her doing that, right? Does that mm. sort of? But I feel that this is what I get. Have this conversation with films on. There is like films that just use a trope because of storytelling, mm. and there are films that make themselves about a trope and explore a trope. And I feel this is the latter mm. of like it. It is 
so laser focused on this and because she's not the final girl is the victim and having it as the perpetrator and making it look so nasty and you at the end being like I mean I don't how do you feel about this character at the end Asami yeah um what do you mean like, how do you I feel am, about I'm in, enraptured by her charms <laughs> no I mean she's um how do you feel sorry I feel for like her? no because the, I see her as a complete cardboard construction I don't see her yeah. as a real person which is yeah which is a real problem with the film you know like I just I don't know what I feel, feel about her I just feel like I wish that I saw her internal psychological life in a way which which was relatable <laughs> Or something like maybe it's not maybe it's you know that kind of trauma is not relatable and that's that's mm. the point. But I yeah I can't really. She's not human. Yeah yeah yeah. Which, which is the thing with both of these movies of they are about um, unpicking genre and filmic constructs. Um, yeah. And presenting you raw constructs and being like no, which is why I think your Kill Bill point is so perfect of being like yo if we actually dealt with these tropes. <laughs> yeah. This this is what you, you actually you would get. That, yeah you would get some messed up shit. And Le Bonheur yeah. is like there are so many like airy fairy romantic comedies like even when like ha when Harry met Sally and mm -hmm. being like you know what everyone's falling in love with everybody blah 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 yeah. and this is been like showing the patent ridiculousness of it all. Absolutely. You almost like for most of the film you think it's a kind of cutesy, but even even when. Uh, Francois confides in his wife, right? <sighs> and he's like, oh, you know, I've got plenty of happiness to go around for everyone or whatever. And then she just sort of like, she gives the like most pathetic resistance I've ever mm. seen where she's like, oh, but you know, I'm your wife or whatever. And But then she just like seemingly accepts it. And you think like, yeah. like, what is, like what is this film trying to say? Like, because, like, I just feel me... like it's the most like, I don't know, it's the most I... ridiculous cookie cutter like thing because it, it's like just being it in slaps, the head of male it fantasy you, yeah and then it slaps you in the face it totally slaps you in the face yeah. and I just I love it but there's, there's really cool things in Le Bonheur like every now and then you just she turns the camera to a sign or like an advert and they're all little jokes yeah, oh, yeah they yeah, all yeah, say I, things I like caution or <laughs> insurance yeah. and there's, there's one I forget earlier which is I can't remember what it was but I remember being like oh that's so funny <laughs> but they're just like little things of just like again that just point out the artifice of this world of being yeah. like mm, yeah lol just yeah. every time she's a playful filmmaker <laughs> and like you you kind of realise at the end that she is playing a joke on you or if you're like expecting that thing you're like alright Varda what are you doing here yeah what are you doing here Varda what's going on so yeah the way that I feel about these two films is they're very seminal and important films mm -hmm. which highlight something important about misogyny. Yeah. But I feel like the sort of metaphorical slap in the face to the audience and to the transgressing men in the film isn't as powerful as it could be. Okay. If, if the films were, like they couldn't really be made today, but if they were, they would play things differently, I think. Mm. There's, there's, there's a thing that I can't walk away from, which is the sensibility of our own times. And I think, yeah, it's very, it's the films are so reductionist that they create these really kind of simplistic vi visions of women. 
And I wish How that I that saw that not true more... of Salo? That's very true, I think. <laughs> I, I mean, Salo is probably a very misogynistic film. I'm not, not going to deny that. Mm. Definitely, in fact. Yeah. Um, but there, there's other things it's trying to say. I'm just saying because these yeah. are sort of, these films seemingly are supposed to be like seminal feminist films, right? Um, well, I would view them as. Yeah. Um. I think maybe like, they would be more maybe they would just like entertain this idea maybe the, the films would be more powerful if the female characters had more depth I would be I, interested in that. I would feel I would probably feel if you saw a bit of the wife's kind of internal psychological mm. trauma in um, Le Bonheur yeah her committing her dying would hit me harder personally it would hit me harder but I, I, I the film as exists though i just love that there is it just presents this world in which nothing has any impact where nothing just matters and i like that as a philosophical point it seems to be an argument of this push for pure happiness and what this film actually goes is pure happiness is banality pure right. happiness is yeah. boredom is affectlessness and yeah. you watch this and you go that's stupid because like because yeah. there is no remorse there is no sadness because in this he is creating a world in which he is only happy and it's a nice yeah. attack against like a naive yeah, philosophical yeah. outlook that i think was very popular at the time yes yeah um yeah and for me audition is very much more an attack on masculinity than it is a defense of femininity that's true um, so i, I guess think that... as a skewering of the masculine i think it's exactly what it needs to be I mean, you know Harvey Weinstein don't like this movie. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if he's seen it. Probably. Don't know. I mean, there was. I watched because we watched the version on because I've, I've, I own this movie because yeah. I love Audition so much. Yeah. But my copy is lent to a friend at the moment because I'm always lending things to people because I'm like, watch Audition. Um, I do that <laughs> yeah. a lot to people and they're like, why did I watch this movie? I'm like, oh, you did this. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so we watched the version on BFI Player, which has got yeah. a little introduction before it by Mark Kermode, um, who it was his favourite film of the year, the year it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he used to live next door to Ken Russell. Yeah. yeah. And he lent Ken Russell a copy of the DVD. Wow. And Ken Russell came back to his house yeah. after having watched an hour of it and was just like, I don't want this in my house. Wait, Ken Russell? Yeah. The guy who made The Devils and many mm. other... Because I think this film, perhaps, to be a bit controversial, is attacking a certain type of privileged males of of influence and I think this movie would make your Ken Russells very uncomfortable that's true that is very true yes it's a very good point Emma made an amazing point because because like to me this is one of those because I we had a conversation earlier this week about films that are scary Hmm. and I said there's one film that really scared me not because it was it was this film this film I think is terrifying um so because I don't want to traumatise people in my lives my loved ones like I told Emma going in this film's really terrifying um, yeah. it's a really intense movie I didn't tell Albert this because I want to just troll him um, <laughs> but whereas at the end she was just like it's creepy yeah. but I don't think it's scary and her point was like I, she was wondering if is this film scary to women maybe not oh that's good but do you see what I'm trying to say like the fact that it has very different gendered responses is mm. my problem with it. Oh, but that's my fascination. Because it creates it. anxiety in the men. But mm. but men so rarely feel that. Are so rarely attacked 
by cinema have their genre, have their gender unpicked and thrown no, back so at them. why the reason that i say that is because it doesn't challenge the anxiety right people shouldn't be men shouldn't the anxiety is wrong is what i'm trying to say do you know what i mean like it's well, just because no, to me it confronts people with the reality of what they're actually doing and the way they treat people in the mm. world if it's been like this is a, a this is why i love horror cinema it's an extreme metaphor a literalization of the actual effects you have on doing this to these kind of people of reducing them down and i think it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable who should feel uncomfortable once let's say harvey weinstein did watch it mm -hmm. okay would he feel uncomfortable because he understood the sort of moralist thing, okay? Or would he feel uncomfortable because he's afraid that some victim is going to cut him up with piano wire? Do you but see what I'm trying to say? I, but that's why I think why the extreme metaphor works because, like, I don't for a second think that anyone's going to do that to me. I don't watch this movie and mm. be like, women are trying to kill me. I yeah, watch this yeah. movie and being like, this is a metaphor for the reality of the actions that I am doing. Right. And I am one of these people. Because I'm not saying he deserves the exact treatment he gets because it's abhorrent. Yeah. But man gets his, like, dude is a jerk and he dies. Like a chump. I think that the film thinks that by portraying this woman in this extreme state of power, that it yeah. is empowering. Is it, like, it's supposed to be empowering somehow Ooh, to the victim. But I don't like that. I think that's not what empowers I women. I think like I don't think this film is about empowering women. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Well. Yeah. That's the way I mean, that I sort of read it when it when it when I first sort of saw it. But yeah. That's go on. really just, interesting. Just expand I've, a little I've... bit why you think it's not about trying to say that oh that's how we empower women by giving them all this kind of masculine power or whatever. Because again, I think it goes back to she is not a character. She is a projection. Yeah. This is not a relatable woman this is a collection of tropes that film uses all the time this is a movie executive's imagination of a woman yeah okay of like a strong woman and it is just like an a slow unpicking of that a slow unraveling of that and again it comes back to i think this film is a better deconstruction of masculinity i think actually to go to a film that you watched this week um Beau Travai, mm -hmm. um which is a film i take over great the film. films great film um, yeah like Botravai is a film that is so good about masculinity yeah and i think we see that very rarely in film of actually like unpicking and looking at masculinity and i think audition is another film about masculinity i don't think it's film about femininity mm. yeah okay well t yeah i can accept that if that's really yeah okay and i the partiality that it is just about the insular world of the males mm. in both films i think is what will save these two films for me because if they are really if they are but, really but, only about masculinity but there's I a bit so, of me that the feels first like half he... of the movie is pushing that pushing yeah. that pushing that like again with the cctv footage kind of motif with the boys club world with the you find out that certain characters are more important later like you don't know why this lady's hanging around the um the, uh, the elevator at the beginning then you yep. find out it's because he just used her sexually at the yep. end yep. and then yep. when he has weird like child fantasies towards the end as well oh those are yeah those are really yeah 
What were those about? Because I well, actually, no. The way that I read it was, it's mm. another, it's another critique of Japanese society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, yes, one hundred percent. Um, and even um the the son's girlfriend or whatever, the mm. way that she's dressed, that was very. I thought that was very clever about the like schoolgirl tropes or whatever. And then you I see, think... I think you see see the same outfit on. Yeah. As Asami. Later yeah, in the because, film. because yeah, yeah, this yeah. person thinks of everyone as just sexual objects. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he gets penetrated. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think an interesting thing would be um, because, like, I am versed in the filmography of both of these people, of where to go with these people if you want to go further. No, knowing Takashi Miike's other films. Would you, would you say that Mike was doing what you think he was doing in the film? I that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know. Um, mm. I think this film, I am tempted to give it more to the screenwriter um, than I am to Mike yeah. because um, this is an anomaly in Mike's work. Yeah. Um, he has not made another film that I've. I mean, man's made 103 movies. Right. Maybe the maybe the 80 that I haven't seen are all like this. Maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm wrong, <laughs> but like, he is also a cinematic prankster yeah. who likes to mess around with his audiences. And some of his films are just pranks. Yeah, are just jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of his movies I really don't like. Some of his movies I really really love. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he hits, sometimes he misses. But I think if we're to be Roland Barthes about it the text of this film holds up even if the intention of the author does not got it i see whereas varda is such an interesting counterpart because i think varda as the french new wave movement does completely relies on the author behind it so just going slightly back to what i was saying about wishing that the women had a bit more to say especially in le bonheur apparently there's an interview somewhere of varda where she says in this scene where um, France, Francois's wife... Um, He's called Francois. Like, Francois. <laughs> yeah, true. Like, <laughs> if this is not a symbol for misogynistic French society. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Okay, yeah, they're both digs at the respective societies they're in. Um, but basically, what Vardo said later about the film, uh, this is her giving an interview in the late 70s, I think, mm. is that she wishes that the wife had told Francois go to hell in the film. Oh, that's, oh she's so cool. I you, love so, so, much. so there's a couple of things going on. There's Agnes Bader's inchoate kind of feminist practice or whatever, because late she only sort of got, got involved in the practice side of things a bit mm. later when she uh, got involved in the new, in the is it second wave feminism in the 60s yeah. Yeah, uh, in, so. in the I mean, States. No. So she that's when her real political kind of action took root. And so her giving like a second perspective after she had done that on the film that she made before she started her political action does say to me just a little bit about what I was trying to say about the women having I mean, a bit more I'm, of an internal life. But then accept it may be a better film with that. Yeah. But I don't think that means the film that exists is flawed in that way mm, i think like okay. it's additive of yeah. being like i would like to see that version but it's a different film yeah okay got it yeah and maybe both films need to exist yeah I mean, well, both versions of the, of, the, of the films um, songs because you, you wouldn't me. have francois complete um 
not ignorance, uh, obliviousness, right? You wouldn't have it. Yeah. Have he would have lives to, of women. Yeah. Yeah. He would have to actually recognize himself for once. And the film exactly. relies on him never critiquing himself until it just shows the viewer being like, this guy, no. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, to be really wankily pretentious about this, this film is a William Blake Songs of Innocence poem. It is. It, ex- a... Explain that, because <laughs> not everyone's going to get that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, William Blake's most famous work um, is his dual text Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience, which he sees as the conflicting sides of the human um, soul. Um, And they are kind of both very rotely simplest. The the key example being The Lamb and the Tiger, which are two very famous Blake poems. And The Lamb is all about, oh, look, there's a lamb. Therefore, God is great Mm -hmm. and Jesus is cool. (laughs) Ah, isn't life good? And the tiger is wait there's a tiger why would god make a tiger everything is bad um <laughs> that's great the, the truth kind of exists in between yeah and the analysis of songs of innocence only works when you view these films as an infantilize these poems as an infantilized lens that it's supposed to be naive and innocent and this film to me feels like that it is a film that demands critique and unpicking of you need to go scratch the surface and it presents itself as a naive innocent surface and i think what will be interesting i'd love to see her songs of experience take on this and maybe <laughs> actually it's the film vagabond maybe vagabond which she made later is that film i see well there we go yeah so i yeah i guess yeah in answer to my question watch vagabond that's yeah, a good movie <laughs> you need to see more than le bonheur to really take on misogyny yes yeah yeah totally <laughs> it's what i'm trying to say mm. yeah that the only film you need to see is audition <laughs> in general <laughs> all right do we want to get reductive we do indeed let's right. let's give some scores i mean mine are obvious these are two five star movies <laughs> you're so easy with your five stars no no these are two like if i gave half stars yeah. which i do not yeah. these would not be four and a half stars yeah, yeah, these yeah. would be five, five. Stars. Just, these just are straight 10 out of 10 no, no question yeah okay these are just stone cold don't miss a beat masterpieces they they are very good films i like le bonheur more than audition i think my predilection for horror kind of leads me to be like yeah. i just love audition mm. i really wasn't intending to go into this review with giving these films high scores but i think i might have to so le bonheur is probably <laughs> going to get a four and um Yay. audition it's such a weird film. Like, it's... Oh, it's such a weird film. It is very of its time. Um, it is the most 1999 movie ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give it a four as well. Yeah, okay, I just, that's, yeah. that's fair. Both, both are fours. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with that. <laughs> I, they're great films, but they're, prob- they're slightly problematic. Oh, cool movies. Good, good suggestions, I feel like. Yeah. So um, yeah. F- for the audience, if you were interested in the work of either um, Mike or Varda, um, if you want to watch great Mike movies, um, I mean, Audition is the one, to be fair. Um, but I really um, recommend, like, on the wild... Actually, I really recommend Dead or Alive 2 um, more so- than 1. Any relation to the game Dead or Alive? No, it is okay. not. Though you know that Takashi Mike made a Phoenix Wright movie. Oh, right because of course he does he makes everything um 
Dead or Alive 2 is, apart from one moment of undeniable racism, is a really nice, sweet movie mm-hmm. um, about the Yakuza. Um, I really, really like um, The Happiness of the Katakuris, which is just a bonkers movie. Um, Yakuza Apocalypse is really fun. And Blade of the Immortal is a really fun movie. He's just made too many movies. He's made 103 movies. Um, don't watch Visitor Q, it sucks. You told me about that film, and that film seems nuts. I'm yeah. not touching that. No. And, <laughs> and Vada, this is me, like, not even flinching at Sardo. It's like, God. Yeah. With Varda, watch everything she's made. Yeah. Um, her two best, like, fiction films, her feature films, would be this and Cleo from 5 to 7. Mm. Um, maybe Vagabond as well, actually. Um, documentary work. Faces Places is on Netflix, and it is brilliant. Mm. Um, and then Little Anna and then her most recent documentary about herself is just wonderful. Um, all right. So shall we end it there? Yeah. Cool. So is that podcast over? <laughs>